netcasting from Chicago, Los Angeles, and Sydney. You're listening to this week's FX Podcast from FXGuide.com. This week we talked to Guillaume Rochon, the MPC Visual Effects Supervisor from the Oscar-nominated film 1917. Hi, I'm Mike Seymour, and this is part of our ongoing series looking at this year's Oscar contenders by sitting down and talking to the visual effects supervisors, not just about their films, because let's face it, the films like 1917 are just a delight to discuss, but also their approach to the visual effects. Of course, as you probably know, even if you haven't seen the film, 1917 plays out as if it's effectively one shot, which poses an enormous number of problems, as you'll hear in the podcast, not least of which, how do you actually kind of break something down by shots where notionally the entire film is one shot? So congratulations on the Oscar nomination. Um, Brilliant film. Thank you so much. Tell me about your other two nominees and uh, what everyone's role was. Um, so um, Greg Butler was the, the in-house MPC supervisor on the movie. He was based in Montreal and uh, oversaw the team there and you know some of the team in, uh, in India as well. And then Dominic Tui was the, the special effects supervisor who did, you know, who did all the great work on set, uh, which we did quite a lot of on the movie, actually. You know, uh, quite a lot of practical effects or as much as we could. You know, so the the you know we we would not rely only on CG all the time, basically, that which Sam was pretty keen on. I mean, this film is is remarkable in so many ways, but I guess one of the less obvious, but for my money, remarkable things was just how much pre-production you had on this film. Now, obviously, you needed it, yeah. but this was really a matter of crafting shots rather than than sort of reacting to stuff on set. Yeah, absolutely, because. You know, with the with with the one shot movie, you have to you know design scenes that are at the right you know kind of have the right duration. So, for example, you know rehearsals were you know mostly you know Sam with the actors and Roger you know walking on an empty field or walking on an empty backlot and you know kind of running through the scenes in the script and. You know, you can kind of run through your scene and you're just like, okay, well, we need 332 feet of set to go from there to there. Uh, or we need to tweak this location because, you know, to kind of cover the storytelling that we need to do, we need, you know, that much time. And it means that we need to cover that much distance. So, you know, the pre-production time was, was, was really, you know, to kind of identify, you know, the, the in and out the ins and outs of every scene and obviously for the actors to kind of really build a um, you know like a uh, almost like a mechanical physical you know like a physical memory of of you know every steps they take and where things go and where the camera is gonna be and you know where you need to end and because obviously things need to connect together right and you know the movie you know, was not shot in one super long take. Obviously, you know, it's 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 just a lot of you know, just logistically, you need to sleep at night. So even if you know we could have shot it in like one long you know journey for real, uh, you know, you still need to sleep. You know, every, you know, and reset every morning. So you know, at least you have to engineer your shots so you can stitch you know the first shot of every day to the last shot of the day before. Um, so, so you had, you what, know, 24 weeks of pre-production, is that right? 
there was yeah 24 weeks of pre-production and then uh, there was uh, 64 days of principal photography and uh, we did post in like 17 weeks which was extremely compressed that's extremely compressed yeah let me ask you this question yeah. normally you would break down the script obviously working out what are the uh -huh. visual effects shots but here yep. i know that there's an enormous amount of visual effects but obviously key visual effects are happening at the transition points so was this a case mm -hmm. of not being able to break it down until you were in that kind of rehearsal phase where you could see how they were sort of combining those shots and how you were engineering the transitions? Of course. And I think, you know, the, you know, purely from a breakdown standpoint, you know, it's before you actually shoot it and go to post, you know, you know there's going to be a plane crash and you know that there's going to be, uh, you know, a river sequence and things like this. And really, you know, the, the, what we discovered, you know, throughout the film is like, you know, the units that we live or die by in visual effects is the shots, right? We know, you know, you read a script and you're just like, okay, that's 20 shots, you know, and you know how to cast them and you know how to schedule them and you know how to kind of plan for them. So, you know, you kind of, you know, in, in terms of how you plan the movie, you have to keep that kind of like, units somehow because that's the only language that is common to everybody you know you can't really send a breakdown to a vendor and just be like okay well that's a scene where a plane crashes because they're going to be like well um how do i break that down and you're just like well okay imagine it's going to be six shots you know one shot with this one shot with that and you know you kind of but you know the, the shot is the unit, right? And you know even in post production, you know I can't really tell you how many shots we've done in total because we actually had to at some point forget about the unit of shots because, as 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 you said, the you know a shot where you do stitching is a shot, <laughs> right? So suddenly you know like yes you know it's like the camera physically cuts, and then uh, you know we're using another plate to go to another shot. But whatever goes into the middle, the stitching, is a shot as well. So you can't really, um, uh, you know, kind of think about the movie in terms of, you know, breaking it down in shots that have a logic. You know, what we did is we broke it down in shots based on duration, where we were like, okay, anything that is over 500 frames, we're going to just put a marker and just say, hey, we're going to split split it as a shot. Sometimes we made it 400 frames. Sometimes we made it uh, 800 frames because, you know, it, it felt more natural. But, you know, even if, you know, the, the, there was no cuts, right? But just so it's a unit that you can reference and just be like, okay, we need to camera track 500 frames times 450. Or we need to camera track, you know, you see what I mean? It's like, it's, 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 it's the only unit that you have in terms of, you know, planning and designing the work and also executing it down the line, you know. You know, I've been doing visual effects for 20 years and, you know, you, you literally live or die by the shots, you know. It's like it's your unit, you know. You're just like, okay, you know, 400 shots left or, you know, this sequence is 100 shots. And, and it's also, you know, you learn all your tricks, you know, all your tricks in the books are, are, are based on shots, you know. It's like after you know, four seconds, or if you do a very long shot, 10 seconds, if you do an extremely long shot, maybe 30 seconds, but, you know, there's going to be a cut and then your brain is going to be able to reset. 
and what was very interesting with 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 the one shot approach was like well you know you can't really do that anymore uh, you know the the plane crash is an interesting example because there's no cuts in it so you know you you constantly looking at those planes and suddenly you have to kind of rethink the way you you you're gonna design it uh, because if you just go with a CG plane for the whole thing, it's like, well, is that the smart way to do it? Obviously, I can't build a practical plane that we're going to crash for real and, and all these things. But, you know, is there a way we can do a combination of like, okay, CG that we blend into live action? It's, it's a good example of the philosophy because, you know, the, the, with the plane crash, you know, you're seeing the dogfight in the sky for probably like a minute or a minute and a half. And then the plane crashes and then go through the barn and then, you know, our two actors stand up and then just go touch the plane. You know, they go interact with it and extract the pilot from it and the plane's on fire. And then for the following scene, the plane is a background is in the background for, you know, probably like six minutes uh, on fire. And, you know, you kind of never really look away from it. So, you know, it was really like finding those magic tricks, right, on how we suspend this belief and, you know, make it work. One of the statistics that I love that gives a window into how much work you and the team had to do is I believe 91% of the movie actually had, in terms of running time, visual effects in it. That's yeah. astonishing. It's, it's one of those things. It's like, it's, it's like there's a wide array of work on the movie. You know, it's like there's like, you know, full CG environments, full, you know, some full CG shots, some creature and vehicle animation and effects and stuff. But also, you know, just the simple, like, you know, kind of roto, for example, would be tremendously complicated. Like, you know, you're in No Man's Land, for example, that is, you know, a seven minutes long sequence. And, you know, if I recall correctly, we made the scene in seven stitches. So you still have seven shots that average one minute in duration that, you know, you need to kind of work on and get through your pipeline. You know, just rotoing, for example, barbed wire, you know, on shots that are like so long, it's like, you know, you know, we had some shots that took like, I don't know, 400 man days of just rotoscope to just extract the barbed wire because it's just so long and it's unforgiving and it was done in 4K IMAX. You know, obviously the, the scrutiny on the, on, the, on the renders and the digital environment is obviously very great because it's not a movie where we use visual effects to really craft action scenes or spectacle. It really is just like, hey... We're in no man's land for seven minutes and you're literally watching a heavily modified or, you know, CGI environment for seven minutes. You know, you have a lot of time to look at it and, you know, it's, it's not a visual effects movie. You see what I mean? It's not a movie where you're, you know, you know, you're going to be seeing explosions or, you know, like sci-fi or, you know, it's like you literally have, you know, if we do our, you know, we did our job well, most people will never really kind of know that there were visual effects in the film. Well, that's the other um, aspect that makes it hard, isn't it? Is that we know everything yeah. that is in this world in, in some form. And so it's not superheroes, yeah, yeah. it's, you know, it's real. And if it didn't feel yeah, real yeah. and it didn't feel um, authentic, then the film's drama is completely undermined. It must have challenged every department. Yeah, absolutely. Because the layout of things, for example, because, you know, when you have cuts, you know, you can cheat a lot. You know, it's like you can put a tree somewhere in a shot where it looks good and then you know if you you know cut back to the reverse you can move it a little bit and you know favor composition and you know kind of really you know kind of get things to always be at their best for the the specific cuts and shots 
you know, and in that case, it, it was always very interesting because when I would look at the work with Sam, you know, it was very hard to kind of show him things that were, you know, kind of out of context because, you know, you could look at a section of no man's land and then you're like, okay, great. You know, I love that tree in the distance and I love the, the thing you added in the midground. But then if you're not careful, you know, the camera is going to keep going and then, you know, it's going to wrap around the actors and then suddenly you're going to get that midground tree that you loved in that first section of the, of the, of the scene that is, you know, just going to get in the way and just look distracting, you know, kind of gets the, 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 you know, like the sign of, you know, once you've stitched your scenes and then you kind of watch it, you're like, okay, is the no man's land environment working? And, you know, and then obviously the logistics of purely just rendering it and comping it and, you know, reviewing it. And, you know, that's, that's, you know, everything that was fairly straightforward becomes more complicated, basically. Hey, um, I wanted to ask you, there, there was, just before we finish with that pre-production phase, there was, um, mm -hmm. I know a, a miniature kind of model made for purely the purposes of kind of choreographing, choreography and uh, yes. blocking. Was that something that yes. you got involved with? Because I noticed that in the sort of behind the scenes, there was a shot where, for example, even a light was on a kind of a rod. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's, it's one of the, my favorite kind of like, la, you know, practical effects that we did on the film because, you know, that it's, it's for the burning city at night, right? So, you know, when you kind of go through the window and you kind of land into, you know, the burning city and everything is pitch black, you know, you get those like massive flares that are kind of like flying in the sky and are being the sole light source of the scene. And, um, you know, it was a collaboration between Dumb, uh, our special effects supervisor, and Roger, um, because there was no way to create a light that would travel, you know, you had to travel basically 130 feet uh, to kind of move all across the sets, right? Uh, and, you know, and, and create those, you know, and to create those shadows and have enough brightness, you know, Dumb kind of designed those like magnesium flares, right? That uh, would just burn at, you know, at a specific color temperature for 22 seconds and, you know, kind of travel 130 feet by being mounted on cranes. Um, so, you know, once, you know, the proof of concept of that was done, it was just like, well, where do we put those flares, right? Because again, everything that we do on this movie, you know, you have to be able to repeat it pretty precisely because not only because we're doing stitching in the middle, right? You know, when you go through the window and then, you know, the camera lands on the ground and then, you know, you kind of wrap around, you know, the stitching happening, but also, you know, Sam and Roger had a very precise idea on, you know, when they wanted the whole environment to go black and when they wanted, you know, the, 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 the flares to illuminate the scene. Also, how they wanted like a wall to cast a shadow, a very long shadow on our character, right? So it would be in darkness, but the environment would be bright. Had to, when he believed he was going to be seen and for him to hit the ground, yeah. the camera had to be at the right angle to be looking at him for going to the ground. I, and, and, exactly. and I understand having that those flares obviously not shot but um on a wire rig effectively going over the top yep. but you said that was a collaboration yep. between dominic and um roger yeah roger deakins oh my god i think roger deakins is like one of the greatest living dops but you must have also <laughs> been heavily involved because wasn't there set extensions to that set i mean there was a only a partial yep. set. yeah because it was built on the back lot in shepparton um and you know the the, the set was covering the path of the character uh, but, you know, we did some pretty significant, you know, kind of set extension to it. But I think the biggest element that, 
you know, we did with Roger was that, you know, the burning church, right? That, you know, you see all the way in the distance from the moment you go out of the window to the moment where he kind of faces the burning building. And, you know, Roger had done something, you know, similar on Skyfall, um, you know, with the, you know, the kind of burning mansion. And, you know, it's where, you know, obviously there was no way to set, a, you know, a building of that scale on locate on fire on location so he kind of created a, a you know kind of like a, a a rig a wall of lights right that he programmed to flicker like fire at a, you know another specific color temperature um and then for for 1917 you know the idea was like okay we're going to create an even bigger one because suddenly we're looking at a massive structure you know it's like it's 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 a very large building that's like burning yeah, it's it's huge. Yeah, absolutely. The rig the rig is like yeah, probably sixty feet, and then the church you know goes even goes even higher. But you know, it was really creating the 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 the, the lighting and the contrast that he was after. So you know, when you look at the frame pre visual effects, you know, he already has you know what Roger would call you know the kind of uh, you know the intensity you know and the the kind of like. You know, it's almost like aggressive, you know, the, the contrast, you know. And um, so when when we, you know, obviously, you know, we kind of rotoscoped, you know, Schofield against the, the rig and, you know, removed it. And then, you know, we went to the, the, the north of France and lighter scan a church and made a replica of it and then run it through, you know, layers of, you know, sims to kind of collapse the walls and collapse the inside. So, you know, we would just get a starting point and then just set the whole thing on fire. Um but, you know, it was a really interesting collaboration with Roger. And, you know, w what I really loved on the movie, you know, it was like, you know, Ro Roger was, you know, I would send him shots, you know, during posts, you know, I would just be like, hey, Roger, you know, it's like, this is, you know, um, you know, like the, 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 what we're doing with the church, you know, what do you think? And, you know, he would give me his like in impressions on it and, and, you know, and we were lucky to have him towards the end of the schedule because we were doing the DI at the same time as finishing the visual effects. So, you know, he could be there to, to see this. But, you know, it was very important for, for me, you know, in terms of, you know, visual effects to blend with whatever he, he designed on sets, right? And But, you know, it's also the camera work, you know, that I think for me is the most... You know, it was the, the, the kind of sacred thing on the film where, you know, Roger spent all this time designing the camera moves and where and the dance and the choreography with the actors. And, you know, his philosophy was like, you know, the camera is not the third character. You know, the camera is there, but, you know, you're here to immerse the audience. You know, the camera is not supposed to be the character. You're supposed to forget about it. So you're like in the journey with those with those guys. Um, and, you know, whenever we did a digital shot or even stitching, you know, it was, that was the, 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 the creatively, the, 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 the hardest thing to do is to never make the camera forced to go somewhere for, for us, you know, that was the, 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 the make or break of the movie, right? Because you can never, ever betray you know, the, 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 the camera work and the one shot, you know, the moment the audience feels like, oh, something moved funny there, you know, it's like I feel the camera is like, you know, forced to, towards that tree or forced towards that corner, you're basically breaking the movie, you know, and, and, and you know, so no matter, you know, what we did, you know, the philosophy was like, well, it has to flow, you know, you have to never question it, you know, not only on, on the technical 
execution, but in terms of shot design, you know, the camera has to flow, you know, completely. And that's what generally drove our technique. You know, it's like sometimes we're like, okay, you know. Did you do much or any camera stabilization or, or rather sort of just taking out high frequency on those moves? We did, we did a little bit of camera stabilization, um, you know, and I think it was really, um, you know, to kind of, uh, you know, help, you know, some, some, some of the transitions or some of the rigs. Um, because, you know, you take a sequence like No Man's Land, for example, and, you know, the terrain is very rough, right? Um, and, you know, it was a really interesting aspect of, you know, some of the stitches that we did too, because, you know, some pieces of film are better suited with certain camera rigs, right? So, for example, you know, you're in the trench, you know, in No Man's Land, and, you know, you're kind of pushing behind the two characters in, 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 in one of the trench. And, you know, Roger wanted to use a techno crane. So the move, the push in behind them would be like smooth and, you know, ominous and, you know, just like, you know, very kind of like gently following them in that claustrophobic environment. But then at the moment they get out of the trench, right? The, the, we have to use a different camera rigs because now you're following the characters on a slippery, muddy terrain. So there was no way to, you know, shoot that with a crane because of the distance they were traveling. Um, and, you know, like a Steadicam or a Trinity was the better tool to follow our, our characters in that section. Um, so it was very interesting because sometimes we did blends because we were blending between two different camera rigs. You know, we were blending from like a shot that was a section of a shot or a scene that was on, on, on a crane, and then we blend it to something that is on a Trinity, and then we blend it back to something that is going to be on a crane or, you know, on, on a small vehicle. Um, the you know, a lot rig, of the Trinity rig must have been really helpful, being able to go from a low mount to a high mount without having to, like obviously Steadicam is marvelous yeah. in terms of motion, but you can't, you know, you can't go from high to low without going upside down. Exactly. And I think that's, you know, that's, that's what offered Roger, you know, the most flexibility in terms of, you know, positioning his camera in a, in a fluid way. Um, so it was really helpful, but it was not the, the, the tool for everything, right? You know, sometimes, you know, you had to put the camera on a Jeep, right? Because the characters start to run and, you know, you don't want to run with a Trinity. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, it's not the best tool for that. So, you know, a lot of these transitions they managed to do practically. You know, there's some remarkable live, you know, transitions that they're doing where, you know, it's like they carry the camera on the Trinity and then they drop it onto a cable cam, you know, over a crater and then they pick it up on the other side. And it's it's truly incredible, you know, like the the you know what Roger and his in and his team did, you know, on that level. And then there were some moments where, you know, we had to, you know, the you know, the the transition needed to be too kind of smooth, you know, to be able to just do it live. So, you know, that's where we kind of went in and just be like, okay, we're going to do a transition here. So, you know, it's like we did it for, you know, camera rigs and we did it to transition locations as well, because, you know, obviously, you know, the movie was shot in the UK and was shot, you know, kind of all over the country, you know, it's like you transition from a scene that has, that was shot in Glasgow to a scene that was in Sherpeton to a scene that was, you know, in the Salisbury Plains, um, all, you know, kind of pretty seamlessly. Jump, jumping down at a, at a lower level. So, I mean, it would not be uncommon on an effects-heavy film like this to do a lot of LiDAR scanning, but there was 5,200 feet of trenches here and they're kind of covered in mud. Is LiDAR something that was even sensible to consider or just not required? We actually lidar everything 
like the 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 four five thousand feet of trenches and pr every single set that was traveled we lidared because you know for camera tracking you know everything is shot in non-controlled environments right it's mostly outside it's and the takes are very long and you know things are you know kind of you know kind of ever changing so you know, we kind of went back the next day or at night and basically just scanned absolutely everything so we could have, you know, a reference. And, you know, for either it was set extensions or, you know, just camera tracking. But yeah, you know, we, we actually LIDAR'd even more than we, we would do on a normal movie because we actually scanned absolutely every single piece of, every single feet, foot of, of, of sets that was walked was scanned. Wow. And and so I, there was some sort of major 3D in terms of environment work, but there was obviously major 3D in some of the transitions as well. I'm going to particularly mm -hmm. allude to the jump into the into the river where he goes kind of over the. Yep. Um, and so you you had to do mm -hmm. a CG um, sort of double there. What were you uh, doing that in? I presume it was Maya, but what were you rendering in? It's all rendered in the PR Man uh, 21, I believe. Yeah, it's all PR Man based. Yeah. And so the lighting reference for that becomes really complicated, doesn't it? Because you want sort of obviously plausible physical lighting, and yet, you know, you, mm -hmm. you're not lighting in a studio. This is most of this stuff is lit either, you know, naturally or with at least sort of contained lighting. Um, yeah. was... For that particular section, it was hard because it was in the movie, it's the transition from night to day, right? Um, and you know, we were basically, you know, transitioning from, you know, the, 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 you know, the run through the, through the city, which was shot at dawn, right? So, you know, you get, you know, the kind of right lighting on the characters, you know, we obviously did work on the skies and things like this to make them uniform, but, you know, it was shot at dawn and, you know, we, as Schofield runs, we basically gradually animated, you know, the, the, the brightness of the sky to go up. And when he jumps in the river, the, the the B part of the river, when he emerges out of the water, it was basically a day for night. You know, we shot the whole river sequence as kind of like, or, you know, I would say more like a day for dawn. <laughs> and uh, um, so, you know, to kind of, uh, uh, kind of, you know, make that transition work, you know, it, it, it was really kind of, um, you know, kind of, you know, sensitive because, you know, we kind of shot HDRIs, you know, on the, you know, on the day, you know, when, you know, the sun was going up. So, you know, we, we had good lighting references, but it was also all about, you know, it's, it's the section of the movie where, where Roger, you know, did some art directed lighting, you know, most of the rest of the movie is shot in, in natural light because, you know, we're just outside. So, you know, there's no way to do that, but, you know, on the bridge jump, he did some, you know, and, and, and through the city, you know, he, you know, it's, 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 there's a moon and, you know, there's, there's some fire sources and, you know, there's, you know, obviously, you know, just, you know, like beauty lighting in there. So it, it was really kind of tricky because, you know, we had to identify, you know, we had to finalize the look of, you know, the, 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 the city shots first, right. With like, how bright are we going to go with the sky? How much fire are we going to put? And, you know, it was all about, silhouetting the architecture and silhouetting Schofield enough so you know it would be dark but you would still see something and then 
the look of the river sequence that you know we shot at you know at daytime so that was a day for night and you know trying to kind of okay you know what is what is the look there and do they work together and then you know you do the shot that bridges the gap between the two right which is the jump um and you know it was great because with with roger you know it's like it you know it was very much you know in terms of you know the, the lighting and the camera work you know it was very much like you know let, let's make it a shot that is exciting because it's jumping off a bridge but let's not make it uh you know a superhero shot right let's let's keep the lighting quite dark, but, you know, create some subtle silhouetting so you understand it. You know, it has to be somehow, like, fairly unremarkable, you know, if I could say, you see what I mean, where it's just like, he just ran for his life and jumped over the bridge and the camera just went with it and you don't even want to think about it, right? So it's it's trying to make the, you know, instead of, you know, maximizing your spectacle, suddenly you kind of want to do the opposite of just like, well, you know, we really need to make it, you know, somehow unremarkable so you believe it was that some of the hardest compositing i mean there must have been some really hard compositing and i assume you're compositing in nuke but compositing those water mm -hmm. elements together i mean talk about having yeah. nothing to track and nothing to key yes now the river sequence was like tremendously difficult in terms of uh, you know just technically because you know we shot it in a, in in a, in a water park like a canoe training center uh, that they built for the olympics um so, you know, it has concrete walls, right? It's like literally, uh, uh, you know, concrete walls and, 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 and water. But what he gave us was, you know, the, 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 the rapids and the fast rushing water. And it was also something that we special effects could, you know, put a bunch of like air pumps on the water to create, you know, kind of like bounce splashes from rocks and things like this. Um, but yeah, you know, from like a stitching standpoint, you know, suddenly, you know, it's, you're, you're stitching two plates where everything changes every frame, which, uh, you know, journey makes it very difficult and you have reflections to deal with and, you know, and splashes and all these things. So the, the stitching was really hard on this because, again, you know, it's, 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 it's constantly moving. We ended up doing a fair bit of CG water, uh, to extend the environment first and to kind of set it in like a natural river. So, you know, we created cliffs and we created rocks and, uh, and then we kind of created CG water to kind of extend it. Um, but then the stitching was, 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 was really difficult because we did some, you know, uh, CG water patches to help us. We did some CG splashes and also in Nuke, you know, Nuke is brilliant because Nuke is not only a 2D compositing tool, but he has a lot of, very powerful, you know, reprojection tools and two and a half D. And it was really helpful with the river because we could project sections of water on, on planes and, you know, do specific morphs between, between you know, the, the two sections on a piece of geometry. So, you know, th there's, there's no kind of one technique to do a stitch. You know, it was literally a lot of like different things. It was like, okay, let's use a patch of CG water there. Let's use a splash there. Maybe we can use this splash from this plate here and we can use this like, kind of like water patch and track it and reproject it to the second plate until it disappears behind Schofield. So the river was, 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 you know, kind of interesting for that because there's a lot of like delayed stitching, uh, where you stitch section, you know, a section of the shots at, frame 42 and then you stitch the, the the other section at frame 63 because 
you know, it's, it's, it's just more convenient and you just don't look in those places. So, you know, which is something we've done a lot, you know, across, you know, in the movie, you know, with the, with the stitching, it's like, it's, it's, it's kind of all trying to, you know, pull a little magic trick, right? So you have to, um, somehow find what's, you know, what's going to crack it, right? In a way. And, make it happen where you don't look or when you don't look. And, you know, very interestingly, you know, we, you know, our rule was like, well, we'll never do a stitch when we, you know, with a tilt up to the sky or, you know, when we're going to just like pan to a wall because it's convenient and then we can come back to the scene. Uh, you know, we did some stitching on close-ups of actors, for example, because it's the least, you know, it's the moment where you're not going to expect it, <laughs> you know? One of the things that yep. isn't visual effects, but I just tell you now out of respect for the entire film, I just so appreciated how, like, this is the, obviously the hero's journey. The first half of the film up until the church, they're pretty much moving from camera left to camera right as they yep. head out. Once they hit the church, yep. and especially you're talking as he runs to the, uh, to the jump, he now is traveling right to left. And obviously, yes. by the time he hits the water and he's floating in the water, he's going very much right to left. And, and also, I wonder if you comment, like there's also lovely color palette transitions that denote stuff as well. These sort of big overarching, mm -hmm. they're somewhere between production design, visual effects and cinematography that just give the film, because you don't have a three-act structure, but you have these narrative tools that are just, you know, mm -hmm. exquisitely executed. Well, thanks. You know, it's... it's <laughs> You know, we were always very mindful, you know, from, from our standpoint to kind of always kind of, you know, respect that, you know, and it's something that you have to seriously consider, you know, when, when, when you do visual effects on a movie like this is like, you know, you have to, you know, think about the moments, you know, in, in, in which those characters are, right? And, you know, use sometimes, you know, subtlety or you know make some you know kind of effects very subtle or or less subtle to kind of match you know the kind of intensity you know there's there's a sequence that we did you know it's at the end of the river sequence when you know Schofield kind of falls off the waterfall and you know is kind of you know on the you know on on the edge of death right and you know suddenly you know it's like he's grabbing a log and you know you have those like petals kind of falling from the sky and you know you know, we kind of simulated, you know, those, those falling pedals that are basically, you know, it's, it's kind of like they, um, you know, basically the kind of, you know, the presence of Blake, right, his friend, uh, you know, because they talked about, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, the pedals in the orchard, you know, earlier in the movie. And, you know, there was something where, you know, Sam, you know, for him, it was an effect that had to be very poetic and incredibly choreographed. Um, and, you know, these are the hardest to make sometimes because, you know, they, you know, it's just falling pedals, but, you know, they're, you know, it's falling pedals on the water and, you know, obviously there's like stitching in the middle and all sorts of things like this, but, you know, just the, the precise choreography, you know, like choreographing effects simulations over, you know, I think the sequence is at two and a half minutes long over two and a half minutes, you know, was creatively very challenging but technically incredibly difficult as well because suddenly you know some would look at the sequence and would be like ah you know those like three pedals here i find them distracting you know they don't work for me and suddenly you're like okay so you have to kind of remove these from your simulation but you know anything that interacts with water and builds up together suddenly you have to kind of <laughs> re-simulate a whole lot of things um 
but that's kind of the philosophy of the movie. You know, Sam is very precise. You know, when it comes down to the to the to the you know to the elements that we're putting in the shot. So you know, it's like it was really just like okay, you know, it's like here it needs to be like three pedals, and they fall like this, and then you know, I need like five there, and then in the background, you know, they need to float, you know, almost a bit more like in, in a surreal way, and you know, it's for me, I find it's a lovely kind of you know kind of way to design visual effects because it's it's really unusual for us that we kind of have to um kind of really kind of be so mindful about you know the choreography of things because you know obviously we have to do them over a very long period of time right so it's it's um but you know it was it was a very kind of interesting challenge because you know, at first you just like you look at it, you're like, okay, falling pedals. You know, we, you know, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll do that, and then suddenly you do falling pedals, and then, you know, it's the it's the the kind of never ending refinement where you know it starts by like, okay, I need thirty percent less to you finish by like, okay, you know, it's like, you know, at frame three thousand two hundred and eighty two, you know, it's like I want to add two more pedals, and it's like, okay. <laughs> And, you know, you have to basically just rerun the whole scene, right? And um, so, you know. In just finishing up, let me just discuss that compressed post schedule. So I think you finished in yep. about mid-July, and I think you've you yep. delivered end of October. Because I know that on FX Guide, we published a first look at it on the 1st of October, which just seems astounding to me. I mean, is there anything in terms of how you ran that um, to get that many shots done or not, I know we're not doing shot count, but yeah. like, I mean, how did you, <laughs> how did you organize it? Was it the same sort of uh, process of running the post-production and visual effects as you'd done before? Or did you have to actually try mm -hmm. for any different approaches in terms of the managing of it? Yeah. And, you know, I've, we, we kind of stretched our, our visual effects to, you know, we finished, for example, the pedals I was talking about, you know, we kind of finished that, I think, you know, mid-November or something like this. We basically used every single minute. You know, it's like Sam final the shot doing the final DCP review at IMAX in Los Angeles. <laughs> you know, it was just like, hey, here's the revised pedal sequence. It's like, okay, good. You know, well, the movie's done. And, you know, it was like to the end. Because, I mean, you know, 17 weeks, you know, is, is no matter how you look at it, is, 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 is incredibly complex. And I think that you know, from the, the point of managing it is, you know, you have to divide and conquer, right? It's the only way that, you know, you can, you know, that you, you can do things. And, you know, we, you know, we, we broke things down in sequences and, you know, we had, you know, different groups of people working on the, on, on the film. You know, we had like Greg's team in, in, in Montreal and we had like a specialized stitch team working uh you know on the movie as well that was just doing stitching from a, a wide array of disciplines and you were doing um, this in an aspect ratio of like one like it's the one nine to one right it's the imax aspect ratio you weren't even doing this yep. in like it was like a 4k but in that aspect ratio that's much more sort of square Yes, one one nine IMAX. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> it's uh, it's it was a lot of the frame to cover, um, and you know, in, yeah, and interestingly, you know, it's like reviewing the work, for example, is you know a thing that never really crossed my mind or hasn't crossed my mind, maybe for the last ten years of you know of of you know me working visual effects, where you know now you get 
you know, you get base light and you get RV or RVSDI and, you know, you have all sorts of projectors and workstations where, you know, you can review work very easily. You know, it's like, you know, not like back in the days of film where you had to kind of film out and, you know, and review it on the projector. But the problem with the, 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 the one-shot movie is like you always have to review three minutes of film in one go. And, you know, this very, you know, you need to have basically the whole film at high res. And, you know, the only way that we managed to do that was either to review it in the Avid to kind of review, you know, conceptually things or to review in the, in the DI because the DI had the whole film at 4K. So we could drop in a scene in the DI and then really look at it in context of the movie. And that was the only way we could really validate full sequences. Um, so it was interesting because the logistics of working with the one shot is, is obviously you have to kind of rethink, you know, the way you design the work and you have to rethink the way that you, you, you know, you kind of review it and you approach it. You know, you, you know, you can't really break things down too much in shots because you're just like, well, are you going to just like sim? some water only until frame 1292 and then someone else is going to do the frames after, you know, it kind of, it doesn't really work like this. So instead of breaking things in, in, in shot units, you break things down spatially, right? So you're just like, okay, cool. You know, you take care of this little section here. Um, but he really challenged us in terms of, you know, how do you approach that? Because he really, you know, the, we, we love shots, <laughs> you know, we love, you know, to be able to put a start and an end to something and because that's how we assign artists on work and that's how you review it and that's how you final it and, you know, all these things. So, um, you know, we really had to kind of, you know, scratch our, our brain to kind of, kind of invent methodologies to, you know, and strategies based on each sequence to be like, okay, we're going to strategize how we're going to review no man's land and we're going to strategize how we're going to design and review the river sequence or the plane crash or things like this because it's all about you know there's unfortunately no kind of software that you can write that is going to do that for you you know computers are going to get faster so you're going to be able to load more frames in the next five years maybe but you know there's there will never be um something that allows you to pay extreme attention to you know something that lasts for five minutes and that is continuous so you know it's one of the things that you know i'm, I'm really proud of the, the of, you know the team on, on that because it, it really becomes about the craft right and it really becomes about you know the attention to detail that you have to put into everything to you know not only working on the one-shot context but also you know on something that has to be unquestionably unquestionably photo real you know you know i would just say you know it's like really you appreciate it really on the big screen because it's it's the closest that you'll get to a vr experience without vr goggles <laughs> thank you so much for taking time to talk to us about it and just congratulations yeah. on the film um it's spectacular it's so such a good film but also you know as i say like a stunning tribute to just how much work was done and so much work thank you so you know, much to you and, and all the mpc team it was just outstanding and again, great fun talking to you. <laughs> Loved. Thank you so much. Much appreciated. <laughs> All right, Mike. Thank you so much. Talk to you later. Well, that's it for this week. I want to thank Guillaume. Terrific being able to talk to him about that film and great work by MPC as always. 
Well, that's it for myself and for John Montgomery. Thank you so much for listening this week, and we really appreciate it. Um, check out, obviously, a whole bunch more stories that we're posting online at FX Guide and our other podcast, The VFX Show. Until next time, I'm Mike Seymour. See you. Thanks for listening to this week's FX Podcast. Please let us know if you have any suggestions for stories or future podcasts. You can reach us by using the Contact Us links at the top of the homepage. This podcast is copyright 2007, FX Guide, LLC. Broadcast or redistribution is prohibited without the expressed written consent of FX Guide, LLC.